This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me today is another special guest. Last week, we had a special guest, our executive producer, Bo York, award-winning executive producer, I might add. And we talked about trolling on social media. And today we have one of my best friends. He is our pastor in residence here at The Witness. He's also the host of Theology Q&A. I'm talking, of course, about the beard himself, Aaron James. What's going on, brother? What's going on, man? I am good. It's always good when I'm back on here with you. Yeah, and and we already know what's what's gonna happen. Like, there's such an expectation for you, so no pressure. But you know, we're expe- <laughs> we're expecting you to drop some mics today. <laughs> Let's go, man. I also want to let you guys know that we're gearing up for the Joy and Justice Conference in Chicago, Illinois, October fourth and fifth. And by the time you hear this registration will either be open or almost open. Uh, so I encourage you to go to joyandjustice.com to register today for the Joy and Justice Conference. We've announced our four plenary speakers. They will be none other than our own president, Jamar Tisby, um, a friend of the show and the podcast, Ikemini Uwan, Pastor John Faison of the Grove uh, Church in Nashville, and then also Dr. Nicole Massey-Martin. Those will be our four plenary speakers, and they're amazing workshop speakers So there's other things that are to come, other uh, announcements. And so you do not want to miss this opportunity. It's not even just about the speakers. It's more about the event and the experience itself of coming together with like-minded believers from across the country and the world to pursue joy and justice together. You do not want to miss it. Go to joyandjustice.com as soon as the registration goes live to secure your spot. Okay. So Aaron, I wanted to talk to you today, and this will be part one of a discussion about how to raise justice-minded Black children. Now, this is a discussion that is particularly pertinent for me because we're coming out of graduation season. Now, whenever we come out of graduation season, I, as a youth pastor, as a pastor on staff at a church that always has a lot of young people who are graduating from high school, moving on to that next phase in life, I get emotional. I get really emotional and this year it was it was bad man. I got really emotional because I can remember some of them their first time ever stepping into youth ministry. I remember what I told them the first time I saw them, how I welcomed them in <laughs> or how I didn't welcome them in, whichever one uh may have happened. And so I was thinking about what is their life going to look like? And out of the 11 or so kids that we had graduate from our church, I can look at about four of them and just off the top of my head, guessing if you if you force me to put money down, I would say that at least four of them will definitely be millionaires in their lives. <laughs> so they'll be super successful. They have the right majors and the right skills. And then probably about three or four um, of them, of the rest of them, are probably a 50-50 shot. And then, you know, the reason I brought that up is because they're so connected. 
They have parents who have succeeded. They have parents who own their own businesses. They have, uh, they're going to graduate with low or no student debt. Uh, they have connections beyond anything that I've ever had. Hmm. And they basically, if they just show up, <laughs> if they show up, if they are consistent, they're going to be successful. And I'm excited about that. In one sense, I'm saying generational wealth. They're also able to see things that we're not able to see, that we weren't able to see growing up. So they grew up as kids with a black president. So they had eight years of a black president. So the things that may or may not seem possible to them, their ceiling and, and their imagination is boundless and endless. Some of their favorite entertainers and celebrities are people like Serena Williams and Steph Curry and LeBron James and Beyonce and Jay-Z. And so these are entrepreneurs and it's all about success. It's all about getting the bag. It's all about uh, securing your future. And what I see is that I'm not so much concerned that they'll be successful. I'm not so much concerned that they will have some of the finer things in life or have something to pass down to their children or, you know, you know, have wealth and, and things of that nature. I'm not so much concerned about that. I'm concerned if they're going to be significant and if they're going to have the moral fiber to match their success. And so right, right. speaking of graduates, one of the graduates that I was able to um, actually celebrate is your daughter, Haley. So Man. I thought it would be no better person to bring on to talk about how to raise justice-minded Black children than you as one who is getting ready to send your daughter off to college. Talk a little bit about that. Like, how are you processing, you know, that transition? So earlier you talked about just running through, you know, and, you know, just, uh, you know, just a gamut of emotions and uh, recounting the memories and all of those things. And I found myself during the graduation ceremony, like, I thought I was going to be strong, man. I thought, you know, like, you know, she's our youngest daughter. We have three amazing young women uh, uh, for daughters. And, um, I'm thinking, you know, and, and she's our fourth child. This is the fourth high school graduate, you know? And so it's like, yeah, you know, we, we've done this before. This ain't my first rodeo. Dude, I was a mess, man. Like I just, so much emotion and anticipation and witnessing her take the next step in a journey that she's been talking about since she was a little girl. And, and just watching God's grace and faithfulness, uh, play themselves out in her life, man. It's, it's, I'm so proud and it's just overwhelming. And to be perfectly honest, a little scary all at the same time. It's interesting because especially watching your daughter's trajectory over the past few years, like she's come into social awareness and she's come to have a passion for justice and a passion for her neighbors. And, you know, where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that starts? Because there's obviously some intentional things that you and your wife, Carolyn, are doing. But but where 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 does it come from? Like, what's the construct of how that trajectory started? Well, I got to mention a couple of things first. Uh, in, in any conversation that involves parenting, I want to be clear about the fact that I'll share principles, Right. And and I don't want any of the listeners to feel like anything that we're sharing has to be absolutely prescriptive to their particular context and where they are. Um, I also have to say um, that, you know, my wife and I, this is a journey for us, right? 
And our family has had its ups and downs. And both my wife and I come from traumatic childhoods marked by abuse, neglect, and extreme poverty. But God is merciful and full of grace. And he's been our redeemer, our helper, our restorer in every facet of our lives. And through healthy discipleship relationships, community, and at, at times, uh, very sound counsel, uh, we've been able to experience freedom in Christ that at some points we didn't even know was possible. And so our journey as parents is ongoing, and we'll st- we're still still learning, adjusting, praying, repenting, <laughs> and depending yeah, on the Lord. And so, uh, and we see our children as gifts from God that He's called us to shepherd, and we recognize our accountability to the Lord for their lives. But I, I say that um, before really just you know getting to to answering your question because I don't want anyone that listens to this particular podcast or even the episodes that will come after walking away without being inspired to hope and believe, whether it's a mom, a dad, single parents, grandparents, uh, a cousin raising a younger, you know, you, you know, a younger cousin, a sibling raising a, a younger sibling, just whatever the family dynamic to be uh, uh, w- w- would be for any of our listeners. We want folks to have hope in this. And so one of the things that we we recognize is our responsibility to shepherd our children to shepherd their hearts in such a way that they understand some basic truths, right? Just things that are basic. Um, One of those things, man, is that Christ is Lord over all of creation. And we are adopted daughters and sons in the family of God, but we're also citizens and representatives in the kingdom of God. One of the foundational things that we try to instill in the hearts of our children is the fact that Jesus is Lord over all of creation. And we have a responsibility as adopted daughters and sons in the family of God and as citizens and representatives of the kingdom of God to to engage this world in a way that is pleasing to him. And so we always try to point to God himself first and foremost as loving, compassionate, but just, right? That that God created this world to function in a particular way. And we know that as a result of the fall and sin, it doesn't. But I had a mentor that used to always say that we are agents of God's omniscience and omnipotence. And I love that statement because we've been called to represent him well in the earth. And, you know, I think a lot about, and my wife and I, we talk a lot about our legacy and the things that really matter in terms of what we pass down. What are the most valuable things that we could give our children, right? And Tyler, it turns out that as the more we talk about that, the more we focus on that, it's not money. (laughs) <laughs> it's right. not possessions. Right. It's it's the faith, but the faith being practiced and lived out, right? So we're not talking about equipping our children and, and parenting them and, and and shepherding them in a way that they're that that, that they're clever in arguments, but mm, that mm. that they actually that that their hands are actually put to the plow in engaging the world around them redemptively. 
And we try to start that as early as we possibly can. Now, that's really interesting. You mentioned this idea of it, the, the best legacy that you can pass down is not financial. And the reason I started talking about our graduates locally from the standpoint of finance, from the standpoint of wealth, from that kind of superficial materialistic mindset is because that's how we typically think about black children. Mm. We tend to think about them from the standpoint of how much are they earning. And we can judge them based upon their earning. We can judge them based upon their wealth. We can judge them based upon their possessions. We can judge them based upon certain things that I'm not saying are bad, but they're kind of holdovers from an idea of baby boomers and Gen Xers who believe that their children and their grandchildren should be um, socially mobile, that they should have more than what they had. And so that because of that, they need to exceed the expectations of the society around them. And I think part of that is good. So there's a tension here, right? Because part of the tension is we want our kids to have generational wealth. You know, a just man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's mm -hmm. children. Like we believe that. But at the same time, it seems as though we can start to zero in and gain tunnel vision just on personal success. So how far are our kids going? How much money do they have? And, you know, what what sort of opportunities are they receiving? What awards and accomplishments do they have? And we can kind of tunnel in on that. And I think that creates this sense of self-absorption. And and I'm 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 pointing this out not as a critique of of generation Z like or millennials. That's not really my critique. It's more so a good thing kind of taken to the extreme. It's a strength that is overvalued and overemphasized, and then it becomes a weakness. And so my concern is that our legacy, especially as we teach Black children in the village, in the community, is all about personal success. Be like so-and-so, be like this, do this. And that's good, and I hope they do that. But I, I tend to think that a, a self-absorbed moral framework, a self-absorbed way of interacting with the world smacks way more of Western consumerism. It smacks way more of capitalism than of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? I just feel like that's 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 kind of what we're that's what I'm I'm wrestling with here. Oh yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. And so there there is there's nothing wrong with desiring our children to succeed and and to to build generational wealth, which historically has been uh, not something that Black Americans have enjoyed. Um, you know, every study that I've seen, we are so far behind as, as, as a people group within this country in terms of wealth, right? I mean, even, even with, yeah, even with the, even with the increase of success that we've seen amongst black folks in different facets of life and in different areas of expertise, it is still a gap that is painfully wide. And, and, and so there's nothing wrong with that. I believe when we are anchored in 
an understanding of stewardship though, right? Talk about that. Yeah, talk about that. <laughs> like, you know, like be successful. You know, it's nothing wrong with striving and 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 using whatever gift or talent that the Lord has given you. There's nothing wrong with that, but there is a responsibility that comes with it. And one of the things that we try to instill and talk about and even model in our own lives is to leverage whatever means or platforms that we have been given for the benefit of others. Um, that That's really, really important. You know, Tyler, I grew up in a really bad neighborhood. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of, you know, came into my own uh, as a young man in, in the early nineties. Right. And this is right when, uh, man, the crack pandemic was just in full swing, you know, in and around New Orleans. And I, I witnessed the, the pain and the dysfunction and the violence and, and all of these things that go along that, that, that went along with it. And one of the things that I've noticed, and, and we've talked about this before at different times, is this idea that making it means leaving and never going back. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right. So we small town Pensacola, right? So we know that that's the mentality. And it's funny, I was just talking to a guy who I grew up with who has moved back into the area. And he was talking about how hard it is for him to get over that mindset. And it's not because he's not moving back into the area because he's not successful. He's just moving back to the area because that's just where the opening came. And so now he's coming back in his familiar circle and setting, realizing how much it's changed, but also taking a step back and saying, have I failed? Like when I came back, when I go back home, does that mean I failed? Does that mean I've become deficient in some ways? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's sadly, what it's resulted in, again, is that this a false idea of success means a very hard break and separation from where I've come from. Right. It means a, a kind of a plucking up of your roots. So yeah. Speak, just ripping your ripping your yourself away from your roots and kind of where you were nurtured. I mean, I never forget years ago, um, just in in my study of, of of the scriptures and reading, just one of the things that struck me as I was reading through Exodus um was the fact that, you know, Moses enjoyed such great privilege. And even in the midst of that, the Lord called him to go back. And and I never forget reading that passage and thinking about my neighborhood, thinking about my friends and thinking about my family, right? That that were still there and feeling personally a very real sense of responsibility that it wasn't for me to separate. Um, it wasn't for me just to disconnect that, that, that I have a responsibility to stay connected and leverage whatever gift or means that the Lord has given me for the good of others. And um, now with our children, our family dynamic, that's been a little tough because we are a blended family, number one. And number two, we are a military family. We were a military family. And so our children really don't have, like all of our children were born from uh, in Texas, Louisiana, Georgia, Florida. And so, <laughs> you know, mix, they kind of, <laughs> right. And so they're, you know, they're, what's they're really all home, over. Like what's actually what's, home for us. 
exactly what's really home. And so they don't necessarily have that same draw and pull that I do just as a result of being born and raised in a particular area for all of my childhood. But we we do say, where are you now, though? Right. (laughs) Wherever you find yourself now, how can you leverage whatever God has given you for the good of others? And and the fact that the way in which the scriptures teach love and the way in which Christ himself modeled love involves the forfeiture of rights and privileges for the good of others. Right. And and that's what I'm talking about because I hope people don't get from this that you know we're going to war on success because I think material success like societal success those things are good in as much as they don't violate mutuality, solidarity, and advocacy. Absolutely. And so if they if if they are fueling that, if they're giving us more opportunities for that, if they're just maybe a log that's thrown into the fire that already exists in our, our moral framework, then that's amazing. That's great. But if if it if it opposes those things, then I found that a lot of people who have achieved success find it hard to to think in mutuality. Mm-hmm. And that's even how you think about your local community. Like when you think about stewardship, well, I'm not going back to my local community just to help my local community. Well, I'm involved in the ecosystem of the local culture because not only are they going to flourish if I'm involved, but I will flourish if I know them, right? Without so, a doubt. Uh, the people the people who I'm quote unquote helping, then that's, you know, I was listening to a guy recently um, from Tijuana, and he was talking about this idea that Christians approach, whether it's cross-border relationships or cross-class relationships, from the standpoint of American charity. So it's just American charity. And so you write a check or you it's vertical, but they don't approach it from the standpoint of Christian solidarity, which is that as I come alongside you and enter into your space that there's there's this mutual flourishing that happens from us working together towards the betterment of whatever space we're in. And I think that's another part of of justice as we think about raising our kids is we have to remove and kind of make war on this idea that somewhere far away is better than here. Hmm. Yeah. Like there's 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 a fantasy place in a bigger city or <laughs> in a better neighborhood or in a more resourced state. And we're going to sit around and daydream about being there rather than tilling the ground that sits under Absolutely. our feet. Right. And, and that's, that's like a, a, an issue that I'm finding is still difficult as a millennial to kind of wrestle, but we have to teach our kids and we have to teach you know teenagers that stop idealizing something that you haven't seen as though it's better than where you are now and where has god planted you and bloom wherever that is and find out ways in which you can enrich the society that you're in and and i feel that there's just this kind of pause and they say well i'll go I'll give my best when I'm in the place that has the most resources. And that's such a backwards mentality. It's such a consumeristic, materialistic no, mentality. No, it really now. is. You you bring up a very, very important point. And so 
one of the worst things that we can do, and 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 you know this because I think one of the interesting things you know about our relationship as friends and 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 as brothers and and co laborers and you know in the same area is the fact that you are in ministry, but your father. <laughs> and you know your parents are ministry parents <laughs> you know your parents are ministers of the gospel right and and so me you know I'm the pastor and my children are kind of growing up and in some ways you know I I you know learn a lot from your journey um just watching you kind of come up and and the reason why I mentioned the that mistakes right? I mean to tell them the truth they're mistakes <laughs> then 5 a.m waffle house runs where we just like bro we lost you know what I'm saying I'm lost Aaron help <laughs> and you know it this can this type we have to be careful that we don't teach our children that they are that they are saviors come on dog come on dog. so like like you're you're going there and 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 you're because it can create a very condescending paternalistic dynamic that's cloaked in virtue and that exists even in black kids that exists in that exists in black communities that exists in black culture as well and there's this mentality especially as it relates to middle classness and you know the upper middle class uh, black bourgeoisie so to speak and it's just this mentality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that okay, well, we can help you out. We'll help y'all out. No, move there, <laughs> you know, get involved. Like stay with them. Ask them, what are some things that I might not see from my vantage point and from my area? Like sit with them, eat meals with them, but you know, go to ball games with them, become a part of the community, go to board meetings with yes. them. Like let our kids play together. Like let it be a natural outflow that we're not ripped away from a communal concept which is native to our culture which is native to our our ethnic group it is native to our ethnic group for us to be communal but yes. when we step into the empire what we end up doing is we end up ripping away from the community thinking only about ourselves and then enriching the empire and that's the that exists even within black communities um that's just such an important point that you brought up you know another thing that I'd like to bring up that I found to be very valuable for myself and for our family is that justice involves vision. And what I mean by that is I remember, I remember coming up as, as a teenager and, and in youth ministry culture and all these things, one of the, one of the, um, one of the big deals at that time was like apologetics and worldview, right? All of those different things and secular humanism, learning about those things. And, and those things definitely have their place. And we definitely want our children to have a worldview that's rooted in the truth of God's word. But we also need vision. And what I mean by that is there has to be vision that captures our imagination and our speech and our conversations where we begin to conceptualize things as God intended for them to be. That, that shapes ideals, right? And so do we see creation? It's easy to look at creation and, and this is wrong and that is wrong and that shouldn't be. Okay. Okay. But do we have vision for things as they should be? Right. Where does, and, and that's so important that we, that we speak and, and, and shepherd and have conversations and, and provoke 
one another and provoke our young people and provoke our our children in in a, in a righteous way to to have vision that will drive them right and so and and what that does is that flips that that I believe that helps to rescue us from this culture warfare mindset right like <laughs> right. I'm not yes, just yes. I feel like we always you talk know, about the culture uh, wars <laughs> oh <laughs> because it's just so pervasive gosh, in how man. we think about Christianity right? and faith and theology. To thinking like if I engage, if I could get a glimpse through the leading of God's spirit and according to God's word as to what my neighborhood should look like, man, as to what economy should look like in my community. As, as, as to what law enforcement and law enforcement engagement with communities should look like where I live. Y- you know, the, the way churches engage one another, the way we engage, whether the incarcerated or, the, or just whatever. It, it's, it's, it's in a nutshell, it is shalom. Having our imaginations captured by shalom should fuel the way we live and engage this world. I think it's so important. One of the ways, and this is what something we were talking about before, one of the ways that I think you develop that and and maybe one of the only ways that it's truly well-orbed and holistic is the influence of the global church. Certain things that we find to be weird here or certain things that we find to be maybe different here or countercultural are actually normative in other places and we just don't know That's it right. because we're not exposed to it. And I think there is a sense in which if we are seeing the construct of, and this is another thing that I was able to see in Tijuana at the Justice Conference, is we're able to see the practical Mm. outworking of the things that we talk about, but in a different culture, so from a different perspective. So our Latin American brothers and sisters, when they think of, of Latin American liberation theology or, you know, integral mission or things of that nature, that's what they swim in naturally. So we're putting ourselves in conversation with people from different spaces and then brothers and sisters in, in Cape Town and um, you know in different places. We're putting ourselves in conversation with them and they're actually giving contours to what we're theorizing in America. And that's one of the concerns that I have for Generation Z is that we wouldn't just become so self-focused about what's happening on this in this particular country that we fail to see the movement of the global church and how the kingdom of God, the diverse kingdom of God is working together to inform each other, to challenge each other, to build each other up. And, and that to me is something you have to radically place Generation Z. I'll tell you, I'll tell you there's something recently that I've seen that is actually helped me in how I formulate and think about my own context is actually reading someone like Justo Gonzalez, um, a book that he wrote called Manana. And that's not, that that doesn't necessarily yeah, apply to yeah. my context, but the way he's applying it in his context has yeah, helped absolutely. me apply the truths of God's word in my context, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like he's given me an, an ability to see some things that Yes, I can read it in in black theological authors. And yes, that's a foundational way in which I'm I'm processing because it's so, you know, tight to my to my context, whether that's, you know, Dale Andrews or JD Otis Roberts or whoever it may be. But 
there's also a sense in which how Justo and how Gustavo Gutierrez and other people in that context process is helping me to gain a greater and a broader imagination of what's possible in my own. And so I'm thinking, I'm looking, I'm saying, wow, I can actually apply that here. And this makes a lot of sense. And there's a way in which contextualization informs each other as we're in conversation um, with the global church. And so we have to intentionally root Generation Z and our teenagers and our children in that diversity and in that conversation. Otherwise, they're going to grow up. And again, it's going to be narrow and tunnel vision. And I know that's tough because I know we're, we're thinking about the diaspora. We think about the, the Black diaspora, which I think we start with in understanding. And I think we start with in the context that God has created us to be a part of. But I'm thinking more from the standpoint of the beloved community. And the beloved community is that we're all tied together. (laughs) That if one suffers in the body, we all suffer. That if one rejoices, we all rejoice. So if one group gets free, we're all free. Like That's the mentality that I'm, I'm coming at it from. And I know it it's just, it's tough because we're like, well, we have all these other issues and problems within our own communities. And I'm not saying we drop those or I'm not saying we minimize those, but maybe our brothers and sisters in different locales can actually give us greater tools and sharpen our tools to actually go and do something about those issues as well. You know, I find myself repeating a particular phrase to our children at certain points, right? And, um, it may sound a little harsh to some, you know, but the basic the basic gist of it is I say, you are not the center of all things. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. reminder, right? Um, and not only at on an individual level, but we are not the center of all things. Um, our community mm-hmm. isn't the center of all things. America isn't the center of all things. Um, and we try to reiterate that and live according to that principle by recognizing the fact that we are part of a global community. It's something that we talk about literally on a weekly basis, that we are part of a global community. And there is so much that despite maybe different language or different local contexts and dynamics that we have in common. And I think it sets us up to draw from one another and be encouraged by one another. Um, and honestly, with the technology and the tools that we have available, it is such a glorious setup, man. <laughs> yeah, it's easier now than it's ever been, right? Like, you know, oh my gosh, it's at our fingertips. You know, and for us to see that, you know, man, like we're together, and, and to have this greater sense of community and solidarity that extends far beyond our borders, I think it's so healthy for our young people. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people and, and one of the things that I dream about and, and, um, I pray if the Lord, Lord willing that I can be a part of in my lifetime is to see our work of biblical justice, right? Extend and begin to have this, um, and, you know, this, this effect of crossing certain lines and, and, and joining hands with people in, in different places. And, and honestly, it's what, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot like the work that you yourself has been, in, have been engaged in with the justice conference, right? 
just being introduced to just different areas and things yeah. and, and different people, these, these precious saints who are engaged in work that I think it's so important that we know that we are a part that simply put what we are a part of is far bigger than the parts that we play. Hmm. And it's important wow. that we see that, that our, our children, our young people see that. Yeah. I just have to shout out the justice conference for giving me that opportunity, but you know, I think we can all do it in different ways and we can all, you know, find creative ways to partner. One final thing I wanted to talk about is this concept that if we're talking about justice for others, if we're talking about vision and we're talking about not letting success just uh, kind of hold us in this tunnel vision of thinking about ourselves rather than in mutuality and solidarity, I also think it's important for us to to talk about the ways in which we affirm and love Black children. Um, one of the principal foundational uh, statements that when I got into youth ministry and realized that I was going to be in a context that is 95% Black, and when I got in that context, what really helped me was this little phrase from Jawanza Kanjufu, and he says, you can't effectively teach hmm. a child you do not love. You can't effectively teach a child you do not respect. And you can't effectively uh, teach a child who you do not wow. culturally understand. And so I said, when we're talking about, there's obviously there's theological foundations, but then when we're talking about the transmission of how we walk with young people, how we lovingly mentor them, how we come alongside them and guide their way and tell them some things that maybe we have made mistakes in and failed in and give them just some wisdom, whatever small amount it may be that would spur them on or help them navigate the difficult situations of life, that I must love them, I must respect them, I must culturally understand them. And how much of that is actually being transmitted to Black children today? It's one of the reasons why I think, you know, I talked about this actually in a workshop a couple of years ago. I'm at a conference is this idea of prophetic encouragement that you have to not just give compliments to young people and not just give affirming cliches to them, but directly speak life into them and kind of prophetically catapult them into where you believe God is taking them. So I say all the time, you know, to our young men, like, bro, you're going to be such a good father. Like I'll, I'll, I'll mention you know, something that he did to help a younger um, you know, classmate or peer, someone within our youth ministry, I say, man, that's you're gonna be such a good father. Like when when God blesses you with a wife and kids, like you're gonna be amazing at that. And you know, we try to say to our young ladies that we try to put them in prophetically put them in leadership positions, <laughs> uh, so to speak. You know, um, man, when you lead a team, when you lead a company, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Man, Hey, I'll just say, when well, you're a pastor, you're going to be an amazing pastor. You're going to be an amazing leader. You're going to be an amazing, um, you're just going to be an amazing person who stands in that space. And we try to prophetically encourage them. We try to see the things that they're naturally called into and not just say, I'm proud of you in a stereotypical, vague way, but I'm proud of specific things. And this is how it connects to your tomorrow. And I think that's important because Black children don't so often don't receive that. They're greeted by society with suspicion. They're greeted by society with 
uh, confusion and often violence. And so how do we take them and catapult them into their future by lovingly affirming them? I think you, you and your wife do that so well. Man, one of the things that we've learned and we're still learning that was a major part of our healing and deliverance and bringing stability to our lives were people who engaged us so lovingly that they spoke redemptively of our past. They were affirming and welcoming in our present. And they spoke with confidence and hope and affirmation in terms of our future. And for our young people, for our children, that is so important. It's not simply that, you know, when we do that, we speak to identity. It's so nourishing to the souls of any human being when we're engaged in such a way because it goes beyond like you're good at that. Which is transactional, it's, by the way. It's which is having <laughs> someone that you trust. You're good at that. That right? helps transactional, me. And so right? keep right? doing that good you know, thing and we'll put you on the leadership team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep doing that good thing. transactional. Like that's, that's <laughs> almost like an ingrown mentality. You're only as good as you make me look good. Right. <laughs> yeah, of course. You're such a blessing and to the parents. It's easy yeah. to do that too. Like, uh, yeah, keep doing that. Keep doing that. It makes us look good. No, without a doubt. You know, <laughs> keep right, washing right. them dishes and you know taking out that trash. But when, brother, I'll say this: I did not. I grew up severely lacking in this area, and it caused very deep wounds and and dysfunction within my soul and within my life. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for was to have women and men in my life who would literally speak life into me in such a way that I, 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 be, I believe that, like, like you said, it wasn't transactional. It was, these are people who believe in me and they believe in my life and destiny. And man, it was, it's like, it's like wind in your sails. And I think it's so important that our children be raised in environments where the moment that they're able to understand, like, for instance, with with our youngest son, you know, it, it's so funny because, you know, some of this stuff you don't even realize is happening, you know, but the spirit of God is working, <laughs> right? This this is not the result of our prowess and, 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 you know, and our high level of skill. This is the work of God through uh, very flawed and fallible people, right? But I, I started to hear him say stuff like this, Tyler. When when I'm married, I like in and I don't say this to boast, but this is just what he said from from a child's perspective. He would say things like, "When I'm married and I'm a husband and a father, I want to be like you one day." And it, this that wasn't a statement that puffed me up with pride. It really wasn't. It was a statement that I'm like, "Father, he has vision for it. Like whoa, like he can see it." And I was. It, it just really knocked me off my feet because I, I see and saw the, the work of God and things like that to where, again, at a very young age, there is vision, right? That changes everything. <laughs> there is, there's vision for how things should be. I have, you know, and, and the manner in which we cultivate that and affirm that and speak life into that, it changes the trajectories of entire family lineages. Mm-hmm. Where we are able to break cycles of dysfunction and unrighteousness 
and abuse and to see by the grace of God, healthy marriages and successful people and leaders in the church and in the community. Yeah. And it's just such a blessing to to be a part of that. And I think the reason why it's so important for us and there's a passion for us is because, again, this is we're speaking to a unique we're speaking to a unique group in the sense that black children are are not allowed to be kids. They're not allowed to there's there's a sense of fear and trepidation about their now. And so they can't even dream about tomorrow because they're worried if they're going to survive their now. Yes. And and you know, that's why I think it's it's so important for us to have specific types of encouragement for black children in ways that doesn't extend to maybe a majority culture group because I think it's important for us to to speak to where they're at and to speak beyond where they're at and to give them that vision and that vision will propel them forward. I hope you guys have enjoyed just us sitting back and and thinking through what it looks like to raise uh, justice-minded black children. So this is part 1 and so we've done it from the perspective of a father in Pastor Aaron and so next week we'll do it from the perspective of a black mother and I'm really excited about that. But reach out to us, uh, be sure to tweet at us on the Pastor the Mike uh, Twitter handle, which is at underscore past the mic. You can also um, tag us on at the witness BCC as well. And again, once again, we'll be unpacking some of these themes at the joy and justice conference, get your ticket, joy Registration is open now. So we hope to see you there and we hope to see you again on the next past the mic. Y'all be good. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.